Good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Altazan, and I've got my wife, Miss Elaine Altazan Wills. Good morning, Elaine. Good morning. Not like we hadn't seen each other already <laughs> today. <laughs> if you want to give us a call, why don't you go ahead and just dial on in. It's 499-9526. Of course, you put a 225 in front of there. You can reach us from anywhere in the United States. Just give us a call. We'll be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. And I see we've got Gary's been patiently holding. Good morning, Gary. Hey, good morning. How y'all guys doing? Doing great, sir. Got two questions. Sure. 2003 Honda Accord. Mm-hmm. Four cylinder all chain. It's got like about 150,000 miles on it. Okay. Is it necessary with high mileage oil? No, not at all, Gary. I'm not a proponent of high mileage oil or even changing the oil type at all, especially on older cars. What I like to do is use one oil, one brand, one specific viscosity for the life of the car. And all that other stuff is really just more marketing. It's They see that a lot of people keep their cars longer, so... They dress it up, put a different label on it, and call it a high mileage oil and charge you a few bucks extra, and a lot of people are going to buy it. But in my opinion, there is nothing in all that the standard oil that you've been using all along. That vehicle should probably take 5W30, and right, I would just right. stay with not only the 530, but the exact same brand of oil that you've always used. It's not a good idea to change all brands, especially on older cars, just because all oil is pretty good. Almost any name brand of oil is going to be pretty good. The thing is, all the additive packages are not compatible one with another. And you can end up with different additive packages sort of interacting and it may start using all. The only thing that I recommend on older high mileage vehicles is change your oil just a little bit more often. Just because you get a little bit more blow by, you get a little bit more coolant leakage, you get a little bit more things going on. It's sort of similar to an older man. He can live a long, long time, but he has to take a little better care of himself than a younger man does. Right, right. And same thing with your car. If you want it to last a long, long time, just go to a little bit more frequent oil changes, but the same oil you've always used. So how often mileage do you recommend? Gary, that depends on the way you drive the car. Let's say you are unusual and you live in Baton Rouge and maybe you work in New Orleans. So you're driving 70, 80 miles a day at a time. You could probably go out four or 5,000 miles between changes pretty easily. But if you like okay. most of us, you probably work maybe three, four, five miles from where you live, and so on. Most of your trips are real short trips. If that's no, the well, case, actually, I live in New Orleans, but you know, it's not no. Actually, it don't be no everyday driving. Yeah, well, you see, if it sits a lot, or if your average trip is short, you're way better off to go with three thousand mile all changes. And okay. if you're not one hundred percent sure, you're better to err towards the short side, just because all changes are fairly cheap and the results of not changing all are astronomically high. For instance, leaking rear main all seals, valve cover gaskets, leaking all pump seals. So I would always err towards the low end. Okay, one last question. You bet. All struck. Yes, sir. Can, will I be able to change that myself, or do I have to go into a mechanic shop? On that car, they're fairly easy. You do have to compress the spring, but you can generally rent a spring compressor from whoever sells you the strut. If you're pretty handy, you could probably do it yourself. Now, that being said, most shops are not going to charge you a whole lot to do it because it is a fairly easy job if you have the tooling. I know at our place, we charge about an hour's labor to change them, which is going to be about $90 to do them. It just depends on how much your time is worth to you. Probably 90 for both of them on that car. I mean, at most an hour and a half to do both of them. They're not real hard if you got all the stuff to do it. So weigh out what it's going to cost you to rent the tool, how much a weekend's work is going to be worth to you, and how many cut fingers you want to walk around with next week. Yeah, certainly you could do it yourself, but sometimes it's just easier to pay someone else to do it. Yeah, well, I'm going to have to pay a visit to y'all out there. Then. Okay, sounds great. All right, thank you, man. I All right, Gary, thanks for calling, man. Bye-bye. Uh-huh. All right, 499-9526 number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, I'd love to have you. Why don't you give us a call? And we're going back to the phone lines with Mike. Good morning, Mike. 
Hey, good morning. I got, well, that fella kind of uh, had the same kind of question okay. I had. I bought a used 2005 Chevy Silverado okay. used from, for a landscape truck. Yes, sir. And I've got a, a fairly decent double axle trailer with a lot of weight on the back with my mowers and everything. Mm-hmm. Do you recommend synthetic oil or just, because most of my travel is just stop and go, stop and go all day in Baton Rouge. Yeah, under those circumstances, Mike, I would be going with the synthetic oil. I do pretty much the same thing with my truck, other than I don't really haul anything with it, but all of my trips are real short. And with short mileage trips like that, that's extremely hard on engine oil, just because it doesn't get hot enough to really boil the moisture and the contaminants out. Right. So they tend to build up, and synthetic oils can deal with that a little bit better. They have a little bit better dispersion. They have a little bit better detergent retention and such as that. Now, all that being said, one thing you do have to remember, I think it's a real disservice. Folks say, well, use synthetic oil, you can go a lot longer. That's not true. Synthetic oil is not going to go any longer than regular oil. It's just going to give you better protection while you're using it. Oh, okay, synthetics get dirty faster than regular oil because they have better detergents in them. So I oh. would not ever use a synthetic oil thinking I was going to push the changes out longer. I would rather see you use a regular oil and change more often if cost <laughs> is a factor. Now, if cost is not as much of a factor and you just want extra protection, yeah, synthetic is great. It's going to give you a lot more lubrication. It's going to give you a lot more protection. The additives are going to hang in there longer. It's just going to work out better for you under extreme conditions, which is basically what you're under. Would there be any disadvantage? I mean, the trucks had regular organic oil since the first owner. Would it, would it mess anything up to change it to synthetic? It's not going to hurt anything. How many miles you got on it, Mike? $126,000. Yeah, so not that much. What I would suggest to you is to go ahead and change to the synthetic oil. Now, about halfway through your first change, in other words, let's say you go and you go 3,000 miles on changes. When you get about 1,500 on it, go somewhere or do it yourself, but go ahead and replace the oil filter again. You don't have to change the oil again, but change the filter again oh. and go ahead and top off your oil. Reason being, when you put the synthetic in, it's going to go to work breaking up 120,000 miles of sludge and buildup and varnish and all that. And you can actually plug an oil filter up pretty fast oh, wow, when okay. it starts breaking up all that sludge and stuff. So you don't want to plug the filter because if you do, it's going to start bypassing, and then you get an unfiltered oil in the engine, which is worse than staying with the oil that you're already using. Halfway through the first change, go ahead and replace the filter, top the oil off, and then you'll be fine. Next time, just go to regular 3,000-mile fluid and filter change. And one other thing, a lot of people will say when they put synthetic oil in their engine, it start leaking oil. And that is true to a small degree, but what happens is that you had some sludge and some buildup, maybe plugging a few oil leaks up. The synthetic went in, cleaned that mess up, and then it starts showing the leak. It didn't cause the leak, it just revealed the leak. My theory is, if I've got sludge plugging up leaks, I want to know about it, I want to get it fixed. I don't want to right. drive around with a problem anyway. So really, that's not a concern to me, but... You may start to see some oil leaks you didn't see before once you go to synthetic. And like I said, it's not going to create the leaks. It's just going to reveal them to you. Chances are they're going to show up anyway sooner or later, even with the, if you hadn't changed oils. What's a quarter synthetic? Is it like six, seven bucks a quart versus? Depends two. on where you buy it and what type of synthetic you're getting. you got to watch, Mike. The word synthetic is a marketing term. It doesn't actually have a scientific meaning. Some folks will actually sell you regular fossil oil that has been hydrocracked and call it synthetic, and they can do that legally under the law. So those are going to be your lower price synthetics. A true full synthetic that's made out of a polyalpha olefin or right. ester oil like Mobile right. One is going to cost more just because it's a better product. Those you may okay. pay up to 8 to $9 a quart for. Raw purples, your Amzols, all those are true synthetic oils. Some of your products out there, they call them synthetic, and they can label it full synthetic, and it's not a synthetic at all, in my opinion. But there was a lawsuit about that several years ago, and 
what a judge found was as long as it met certain specifications, they could call it synthetic no matter what it was made of. I got you. Hey, well, I appreciate it. All righty. Thanks, Carl, Mike. All right, 499-9526 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would certainly love to have you. Of course, we got back a day early from vacation. We had planned a pre-recorded show, but I said, well, why not go ahead and do a live show? And Elaine was nice enough to come in and fill in with me. Brian's out in the woods somewhere hunting, I guess. <laughs> Yes, I'm happy to be here, and we can tell how women in the automotive business is not rare as they think it is. Well, that's exactly right. An old riddle I remember that kind of stuck in my mind, and it was that a man and his son were driving along, and horribly a big truck ran into them. The father was killed instantly, and the son was seriously injured. They rushed him to the hospital. The surgeon comes in, takes one look at the child, and says, I can't operate on this child. It's my son. And so people are kind of confused. Well, what, well, the answer, obviously, is the surgeon was a mother. <laughs> but we don't tend to think of surgeons being ladies. And same thing with automotive personnel. It is largely a male-dominated industry. Yeah, it is. But there are more and more women now getting into the service writing and more and more women in parts departments. And you'd be surprised how much they do know about these things. Women have stood by their father and watched them work on their cars also, and they've learned things. Mm -hmm. Or their husbands. That's exactly right. I remember the first time I experienced a lady in the parts business, a lady named Angie. And when I first got her on the phone, I said, well, is Fred there? <laughs> she says, look, it doesn't require testosterone to look up parts correctly. And I laughed and I gave her a chance, and I'm glad I did. Because she turned out to be one of the best parts people I've ever encountered, and she's since moved on to another area. She's not here any longer. But it was amazing how well she did that job, and it just sort of reminded me, we all have these little stereotypes and prejudices, I guess, and we think of automotive people as always being men. But more and more and more, ladies are entering the workforce. Actually, our daughter has started working with us in the last year, and she's doing amazingly well. She's catching on, and like he said, it doesn't take testosterone. That's right. <laughs> she does, does a really, really good job. And there's actually a lot of jobs, I think, that women do probably better than men. One thing, I think women are more detail-oriented as a general rule, and they also tend to be a little more patient than a lot of men are. When you call the office... And you'll either get Elizabeth or myself, and we set up the appointments. And there will be a variety of questions we'll be asking mm -hmm. you. We are asking you these questions because the more information we get, the less expensive in the long run your diagnosis fee is going to be. Because if we know what we're looking for, at least what your symptoms are, then the tech will be more in tune to what to look for. Well, that's right. We're going to go back to our phone lines with Gary. Good morning, Gary. Hey, good morning. How you doing? Doing great, sir. Great. My daughter is in college at LSUA, and she's got a Honda Accord. Okay. Uh, I think it's a 2005 or six something. Like that. That's probably 160,000 miles Okay, away. sir. And just recently, she called me up and said that her car had just you know, barely made it into the parking lot and, you know, it was kind of, you know, it was running, but uh, couldn't, wouldn't go more than maybe about 15, 20 miles an hour. Long okay. story short, brought it to the Honda dealership in Alexandria, yes, and it had a half a quart of oil in it. Wow. Okay? And we had the oil changed at the Honda dealership. They checked it for leaks and everything, and uh, the car doesn't burn oil that I can tell. certainly doesn't leak because she comes to the house and it's, you know, under the driveway and there's no leakage there. Yes, sir. We changed the oil of the Honda place, and the guy said, look, you know, check it again in two weeks, and it's, it's already like a half-quart load. What's going on here? It's probably consuming some oil, Gary. 
most cars, particularly with higher mileage like that, are going to use a certain amount of oil. And with a catalytic converter, you're not going to see a cloud of smoke like you used to in the old days. The smoke's okay. going to be vaporized in that converter. But it's probably consuming some oil, which is not necessarily the end of the world. If that's a four-cylinder, it's going to hold up a little bit less than four and a half. But if it lost four quarts of oil, you'd have a puddle bigger than the car several times over. So leakage is generally not going to be the problem whenever you're losing that much oil. Now, a few things that can lead to excess consumption. One is if she's changed the type of oil that she's been using recently. For instance, let's just say she's been using ExxonMobil oil and all of a sudden she went to Vavilin. Well, one's not necessarily better than another, but they are different. The additive packages are different, and that can cause some all of a sudden oil consumption. In other words, it may start okay. using a good bit of oil. Okay. If that has not happened recently, a few other things. One is the, there's a part in there called a PCV valve, positive crankcase right. ventilation valve. Mm -hmm. If that sticks in an open position, it can actually suck all right out of the valve cover. Okay. Pretty easy to diagnose. In a shop, what we do is we put a part called a manometer on the crankcase and measure the vacuum in the crankcase and if it's excessive we know that's it but just sort of a easy country boy way to kind of do it if you can get to the valve just take the hose off the valve and see if there's any oil inside the hose if that hose is wet with oil then chances are it's sucking oil out and one thing that happens to gary some folks will go in and they'll change that pcv valve let's say she went somewhere and had a tune-up done and the shop used an aftermarket pcv valve instead of a honda original part some okay. of those don't really meet the Honda specs at all, and they can cause excessive oil consumption. So that would be another possible cause of it. Now, the last thing is that either the rings are starting to stick or the valve guides are starting to wear out on it and it's sucking some oil in. If that's the case, then you just have to monitor and see how much oil it's using and if the fix is worse than the problem. Right. Because clearly the fix is going to be replace or rebuild the engine, and that may be worse than what the problem is. She may just have to start checking the oil a little more often and adding more oil to it. And you can certainly do that for quite a while before you have any type of a breakdown. Yeah, well, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and, and we're only planning on She's going to graduate in May, and we're going to be getting a new car. Okay. I'm just trying to get by until May. You know? Yeah, I would probably see if she's changed the type of oil <laughs> she's been using recently. Well, I know if, she has. Okay, well, you <laughs> know, and... Yeah. And if she goes back to the original type all, it may take up. Or even if she stays with what she's using now, it may eventually take up. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. If not, just have her have someone check it on a regular basis. Probably every two or three weeks, just check it and top it off until the problem either goes away or you get rid of the car. I always felt it was a good idea to kind of start teaching our kids at a young age to start watching out for the kind of things and checking their cars. And that way when they do get the new car, it'll take a whole lot better care of it. That sounds like a good solution. Well, great. So Where are you calling from, Gary? Oh, all right. Well, I appreciate you, know you calling. Okay, man. Thanks. Thanks, Gary. Bye-bye. 499-9526 number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we're going to take a quick little break. Herb, hold on. You'll be straight up after this break. Hey, Agco Automotive is here to tell you some things are too good to be true. Like free beer tomorrow or lose weight on the ice cream and cheeseburger diet. Another thing too good to be true, the low price oil change. Automotive businesses will sucker you in with an under $30 oil change and then give you a huge list of recommended maintenance and repairs like flushes, brake work, rack and pinion leaks, oil leaks, and more. Well, Agco says be smart. When you get the list, bring your vehicle to Agco and we'll provide you an honest evaluation of any problems you may be having. Want to know more details about upsells and wallet flushes, plus tons of other automotive info? Visit agcoauto.com 
That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Agco, it's the place to go. Oh, and those beautiful models just waiting to talk to you late at night? Yeah, too good to be true. Welcome back. If you just join us at the Automotive Hour, I'm your host, Louis Altazan. Of course, I've got Miss Elaine Altazan, my lovely wife, in the studio with us today. Give us a little bit of a lady's perspective on the auto repair industry. And we're going back to the phone lines. We've got David online. Good morning, David. Good morning. Merry Christmas to you, Louis. Thanks, sir. Hey, I wanted to give you a call. Don't have an automotive problem today. Well, was waiting for years. Been a fan for years and a customer, too. Been waiting for you to get your better half on the radio show with you. <laughs> I know, huh? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Did I understand incorrectly that it's Elizabeth related to you? Yes, yeah, my daughter. I didn't know that. Yes, yeah, my youngest girl. Sure is. You can't see the resemblance. <laughs> well, to tell the truth, Louis and Elaine, I hope you'll understand what I'm saying there. She gets her looks from her mom. There you go. Oh, thank you. <laughs> now, I know I'm pretty, but my wife and daughters are both beautiful. I got to tell you that. No, seriously. Oh, a guy told me, that you got a perfect face for radio. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, people, I just wanted to call y'all and wish y'all Merry Christmas. Thank y'all for all the service that y'all have done. We finally found a mechanic shop in the Baton Rouge area that we really can't trust. And I can't tell you how much that means to my family. Well, good, Dave. We sure appreciate you calling, man. Thank okay, you so man, much. y'all take care. All right, Thanks, uh-huh. man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, 499-9526 number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. And we're going back to phone lines with Herb. Good morning, Herb. Good morning. Uh, y'all was talking about women in the automotive industry. Yes, My son restores four-wheelers for years, and mm-hmm. his wife kept watching him, watching him, and finally got all the kids in school. And somebody brought him a rim and a hub and a handful of spokes by and while he was gone to work that day, she got on the computer and figured out how to do it. He got home. He said, <laughs> he said that wheel spun, and it didn't wobble or wiggle or nothing. Yeah, that's pretty tough. Respoking a wheel is one of the most difficult things that you can do. Yeah, and then he, she got to monkeying with him, and so she, going to the parts store, the parts place, I said, well, we need a motorcycle mechanic. We'll give you minimum wage. Huh? So they went to work there, and the first morning they had a Honda been in there a week and a half. They couldn't crank and they put her on that, trying to burn her out the first day. You right. know, and she had it running in an hour and a half. <laughs> and by Wednesday, they moved her up to full pay. There you go. <laughs> she's been there ever since. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So that's what I want to share with you. There you go. I appreciate her. All right. Thank you. Thanks, man. Bye bye. All right. Four nine 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 five two six is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, I would love to have you. Many many years ago, when I started Agco, it used to be we had a body shop and a mechanical shop. And we always had ladies that used to work in the body shop. They would do taping and sanding and such as that. And inevitably, some of them would work their way up and go into straightening metal and all those sorts of things. I remember back, I guess, man, it's probably been 35, 40 years ago, a young lady named Terry worked for us. That was my assistant. And that's when I was working in the shop full time doing framework. And Terry would set the car up on the frame machine for me. We had two frame machines, and she would set one car up. I would go in, straighten it out, and while I was doing that, she'd be setting the next car up. And then when I get through with that and I move over, she'd take that one down, set the next one up. So between the two of us, we could get quite a bit more work done than I could have done by myself. And she worked for us a good number of years and was a great help. Eventually, we sold the body shop and went into strictly mechanical work. I always liked the idea of giving everybody a chance based on their ability to do the work. Hey, we're going to take one more quick little break. George, hold on. You'll be straight up after this break. 
How are you and things at the dealership's maintenance department? Dave, things are great. You guys still running that low-priced $24.99 oil change at your place? Oh, yeah. Folks come in and we just happen to find a ton of other stuff wrong with their car. <laughs> Works, don't it? Sometimes when it's a woman, I make something up like, your flux capacitor has a leak. Yeah, or your strapanoid filter head needs to be replaced. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. I gotta write that down. Agco Automotive wants to let you know how to stick it to the low-price oil chain shops. Go get the oil change, and then take your vehicle and their list of recommended repairs to Agco for an honest opinion of what, if anything, needs to be fixed. And we'll fix only that. Want to know more details about upsells and wallet flushes, plus tons of other automotive info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Altazan, with my wife, Miss Elaine Altazan, right here in the studio with us today. And between the two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. We've got George been patiently holding. Good morning, George. Good morning. Yes, sir. Um, hope y'all are doing, having a good holiday season. Just great, sir. Could y'all talk for just a minute about, during this kind of weather especially, about jumping a car off with uh, batteries and if especially if it has an electronic ignition, and also does the batteries in both vehicles or whatever you're trying to jump off have to have the same voltage in order to, or, or do you, could you jump from a higher to a lower, like from a car to a lawnmower or something like that, but especially in a car, with heard that there's some damage that could occur, and I'd just like to hear you, you tell us a little about that. Yes, sir, George. Virtually all cars today are going to be 12 volts. I mean, there's, I don't think you'll find anything unless you go back to some real, real old stuff back in the 1950s that had 6-volt systems. Now, when you go to a lawnmower, it could be a 6-volt system. You can do a huge amount of damage by mixing voltages, but more critical is to be sure you keep the polarity correct, and there was positive to positive, negative to negative, because you can pretty much wipe out a modern car. I mean, you can total a car in a split second just by bumping those cables backwards. There's a huge, huge amount of electronics on a car today. Take like a 2013 Ford Focus, which is not that fancy a car, but it has 70 computers on it, seven zero computers on it. If that voltage is hooked backwards for one millisecond, it's going to wipe out the majority of those computers. So you go basically total your car just in a split second. I had a guy tell me one time he bumped the cable. I got it off real fast. I said, well, that electricity's traveling 186,000 miles a second, so I don't think you're quite that fast. So, But the biggest thing, like I said, is to get the polarity correct. If you have any doubt in your mind, you're better off not to even try to jump a car anymore. A lot of them, it's kind of difficult to even get to the batteries. They're hidden and such as that. Going on beyond that, what can happen on a car when you jump it off? If you've got a dead battery in the one car, whenever you crank it off with a jumper battery the alternator is going to sense that it's got a dead battery and an additional load so it's going to kick wide open to charge it when you disconnect those cables you can have a surge and your voltage can jump above 14 and a half which can actually damage computers and stuff on the cars so there are some certain precautions you can take for instance one thing you're in an emergency you just got to jump the car off what you want to do is go ahead and make absolutely sure that you got polarities correct connect both batteries one to another, start the donor car, and then turn the headlights on on the donor car. 
That way, whenever you do crank the other car and that load gets real high, you won't end up damaging his car. The headlights will act more or less like a little bit of a buffer. doesn't work 100% of the time, but it certainly helps. Once the cars start, then you need to disconnect the cables. It's always best to hook the ground cable to the engine block rather than to the battery because a discharge battery that starts charging is going to produce hydrogen gas, which is flammable, and it's actually explosive. So if you create a spark right to the battery, you can end up exploding the battery. So if you have your negative cable connected at the engine block, it's going to be away from the battery. You disconnect it first, and then the positive one can't spark because it'll no longer be a circuit. You disconnect them in the same pattern that you connected them. Well, if you look at the batteries, most batteries are either going to have a positive symbol or they'll have a red and a black cable. And you got to watch because if the cables have been replaced, sometimes it may have two black cables or somebody might have put a red one on the wrong side. So you got to be very careful. If there's absolutely nothing else to go by, look very carefully at those two battery terminals. One is a slight bit larger than the other, and the positive terminal is going to be a little bit bigger than the negative terminal. It's physically larger in diameter. So if you don't have anything else to go by, then look at the size of the terminals, and the larger is positive. Be sure you hook positive to positive and negative to negative or hook negative to ground, which you know, almost virtually every car built today is going to be a negative ground. Way back in the Stone Age of car production, there were some cars that had a positive ground, but we're very, very unlikely to ever run across anything like that. Well, you said something about turning the headlights on. Correct. Heard that on the donor car. On the donor car, yes, sir, because when that car connects to this extra battery, that alternator is now charging two batteries. So it's charging wide open. I mean, it's kicking you know, the regulators wide open trying to charge two batteries. When you disconnect that cable, what you can end up with is a surge in the electrical system that could wipe out something on his car. What the headlights do is just put a pretty significant electrical load on the car so that when you do disconnect it, it's more likely to resist that surge. Okay, well, look, I appreciate it, and thank y'all. All right, George. Well, thank you for your call, man. Bye-bye. Yes. 499-9526 is the number if you want to be part of the automotive hour. Of course, the absolute best way to avoid a problem jump-starting a car is to replace your battery before it dies. And that's one of those things that when a battery gets about three years old, the average life expectancy of a battery in the United States, I think, is 38 months across the country, Slightly less in the South just because it's hot and heat kills batteries. I know that kind of flies in the face of convention because people say, well, the first cold day my battery was dead. The cold reveals the problem. It doesn't actually cause the problem. A battery is a chemical reaction, and when it gets hot, like any chemical reaction, when heat is added to it, generally the reaction is going to speed up. So during the summer, that battery is under the hood. It may be 120 to 130 degrees. Batteries are optimized to run 75 to 80 degrees. So the battery may be operating at 140, 150% capacity. They're just running more of a reaction than it's designed to have. That uses it up pretty fast. But even if it's used up, let's say it's 20% weak, but it's running at 120%, well, it still starts the car just fine. Now, first cold day, what happens, the reaction slows down. It goes from 125% down to 100%, and on a cold day like this morning, it may only be running at 75%. Now, if it was already down 20%, it's only running at 75% of that. Now, it doesn't start the car. So the first cold day shows the problem up. It didn't actually create the problem, but it reveals the problem. Yeah, I kind of actually had that problem just a couple <laughs> of weeks ago after you left for work. Yes, you did. <laughs> and that was just to make the point. That battery was only about a year and a half old. It just happens to be a bad battery, and that can happen, too. It's sort of like people. You can set an average and say, well, the average person is going to live to be maybe 80 years old. But we know that some of them are going to die at 40, and some of them are going to make 100. 
But just as a good general rule, you play the averages and you can be right more times than not. Believe me, it's not fun to be left at home alone and no extra battery around. <laughs> Wasn't there a movie named that? Home Alone? Home Alone, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go back to our phone line with Joe. Good morning, Joe. Hey, Lewis. This is Joe. I wrote you an email before about there's a company, it's a French company, and you sell some of their tires. It makes a smart jumper cable, mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter the polarity, and there's a surge suppressor built right in. And I've only I've got a set, but I bought them online. I don't think they're in Baton Rouge anywhere. Yes, sir. Unless they have some type of electrical device in there that can they reverse do. the polarity, it may they be. Do. I just don't know that I would trust that. I'd probably keep that as a backup in case I made just a horrible mistake, but I would still try to hook them up correctly. Yeah, I understand, but there's a big block in the middle, and uh, some people that that, that could be a a bonus for Yeah, so absolutely. There are things that can do that. I know we just changed out all the lighting in the shop, and we went to this newer style lighting without the transformers and all that. And one thing that got me is I was asking the man, what's the voltage input? He says it doesn't matter. Universal. Yeah, Yeah, you you can run anything up to, I think, 408 volts into them from 100 to 408 volts. It's going to sense it, and it's going to set itself for that. Yeah, I'm an electrician. There's lots of stuff that's that's, uh, polarity agnostic and Mm -hmm. uh, universal, like from 90 to 260-something volts. Yeah, it just senses the polarity and reverses it for you, which is a real nice feature, but I would still probably hook it up correctly, if at all possible, just for that odd chance that it fails. Mm-hmm. Forty bucks is a lot better than having somebody who maybe has good intentions try to jump you off and oh, absolutely. you backward and then pay a whole lot more than that in the long run. Oh yeah. I mean it's unbelievable the amount of damage that can be done and how quickly it can be done. I remember a few years ago we had a vehicle at the shop and it was for a dealership we were doing some framework and they sent a couple of parts runners over and the battery was dead in it. So I told the guy, I said, look, let me take the battery out and charge it. No, no, we in a hurry, we're gonna jump it off. I said, Well, let me take it out and charge for no no we in a hurry. Well, I swatched him, and I saw a bunch of sparks fly when he connected the cable. I was in the office. I looked out and saw sparks there. Well, he kind of scratched his head, stepped back, switched the cables the other way, then the car wouldn't start. So they had it towed off. And the service driver said, what did y'all do to this car? I said, whoa, hold on, Hoss. We didn't do anything to it. <laughs> but I did see your parts driver hook the cable. He did what? I said, yeah, why don't you ask him about it? And it wiped out the whole sound system, and it knocked out the engine computer, and this is on a Toyota Supra. So I think it was about a $5,000 repair bill they ended up with. Yeah, well, all right. I just want to mention about the smart booster case. Yeah, sounds all like a great idea, right. Joe. All right. Hey, thanks Bye. for calling, man. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, 499-9526 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we'd certainly love to have you. There's lots of things like that out that tend to problem-proof things for us, and they are real, real good as a backup. I don't think I would ever intentionally hook them up backwards just to test it, just on the odd chance that this technology doesn't work that one time. <laughs> it's, it's a great thing. It's kind of like a bulletproof vest. It's absolutely wonderful for a guy who's in the line of fire, but it's one of those things you don't ever really want to test. You know, Lewis, there's another way to prevent this also, is <laughs> like uh, we were discussing for Christmas, giving a general inspection as a Christmas gift to your teenage son or daughter, your wife, anybody who's driving a car. And what this is, is just we go in and we check the vehicle over really good. This is not a diagnosis, but it will be able to tell you if you do have a problem that you do need diagnosing. And it makes a wonderful Christmas gift. Well, that's right. If you have a teenager at home and you don't know what in the world to give them, that might be a good idea. Or at least you pay for the diagnosis, they pay for their own repairs or (laughs) vice versa, you know, kid in school or whatever. Send the car in, get a general inspection, let them know exactly where they stand. You'd be amazed at some of the things we do find. 
a lot of times we'll find stuff like the car has a timing belt that's actually past due, and they didn't even realize that they had a timing belt on the car. Now, if that belt breaks, the best thing that's going to happen is they're going to be stranded, and worst thing is going to need a new engine whenever it's all said and done. So that's a real good idea, and be a nice little Christmas gift. Nothing else, a stocking stuffer. Just let them bring the car in, tell them you'll pick up the tail part, and get them a general inspection. Might save them a whole lot of money. Might teach them a little bit about taking care of their car. Of course, now, this is something that you do need to make an appointment for. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it does make a great gift because there are there could be things going on with your vehicle that you have no clue at the well, moment. Well, that's right. And all of a sudden, boom, you're on the side of the road waiting for a wrecker. Well, that's right. And so many things can be headed off and at much lower cost rather than allowing it to go on and break and then you have the repair on your hand not only the inconvenience but the cost goes much 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 higher so yeah real good idea might want to give that some thought get in get a general inspection on the car and that way you'll kind of be prepared for the coming winter months hey we're going back to the phone lines with jay good morning jay good morning yes sir funny you mentioned timing belts because i called the toyota place about my xd and asked them if it had a belt and it doesn't it had a chain so i was very relieved about that but what i'm calling about was when i took it in for service i have three vehicles actually that are about at the seventy thousand mile mark yes sir and probably should have had this done sooner but the transmission they wanted to flush my transmission they gave me this big Thing. And I went online and looked. I mean, there's no filter. And I know you guys have heard you before saying, you know, that's pretty much a little gimmick to kind of get some money from you. And so I was wondering, I've done auto, you know, transmission oil changes and change filters in older vehicles. Mm-hmm. Certainly never in this one. And so they don't list a filter for it. And I'm wondering, what's the right service? What kind of vehicle was it, Jay? It's a Scion XB. It's a 2006. Yeah, I'm not sure what transmission that uses. Most of those will either have a U340E or a U431E transmission. They do have a filter. It's a misnomer. There is a filter. A lot of you Toyota deals are going to call it a screen, but it's just a matter of semantics. It is a filter and it is replaceable on those particular transmissions. Now, there are transmissions that do not have a replaceable filter. They actually have a filter but it's built inside of the transmission. Mm -hmm. For instance, some of your Mitsubishi transmissions, some of your Honda transmissions, even some of your Ford transmissions have a filter built inside the unit and you can't readily replace it. What you do in a case like that is a double drain and fill. And what that would be is you take the car, warm it up, drain the fluid, refill it, go drive it for about 20 minutes and come back and immediately do it again. And what happens is that when you turn the car off, the fluid is going to run back through the filter, which tends to wash it out, and it all goes to the bottom of the case. If you immediately drain it, you can get most of the crud out. The trick with those vehicles is to do that real frequently. It's inexpensive. You can do it yourself, and you don't ever want to let the filter get restricted. Once the filter gets restricted, it's going to be another transmission. You're going to have to take it out, take it completely apart to change it. So... It's real misleading to say, well, it doesn't have a filter, it doesn't need service. Now, that's not right at all. It does have a filter, and if it gets plugged up, it's another transmission begotten. So what you want to do on that one, if I had a vehicle like that, I would probably be doing a double drain and fill about every 30,000 miles on it. But fortunately, your sign ought to be fully serviceable. It should have a pan that you can remove, and you can actually replace the filter. And I would normally do that around 50,000 miles. I know you missed the first shot at it, but you're still sure at 70. Did. You're not too far gone. And that's probably going to take a specific fluid, too. So you want to make sure you get the right fluid for it. But most likely you could do that yourself pretty easily. 
And that's not going to drain the whole thing. Is it is it? not, sort of, no, sir. And any idea about how much I'm looking at, probably about maybe seven gallons or something? No, no, think? no, no. It's going to be just a tad over three quarts on that one. Even on the cars that take a double drain and fill, probably closer to about seven or eight quarts to do it twice. Ah. You're going to get about four quarts out. And okay. it depends on which unit it is. A Honda takes three and a half quarts. Some of your Mitsubishis take four quarts. So it depends on what transmission is in that particular vehicle. They use all different kinds. And I'm not sure what it is, but probably going to be somewhere between seven and eight quarts to do it twice. And if I can ask you, I have a 08 Kia Fortage yes, sir. And, and a 09 Ford F-150. Yes, sir. None, I mean, I bought those two used, and so I have no idea where I'm at with that at all. Mm -hmm. And what is the situation with those as far as the transmission? Well, you really straining my brain there. I believe that is a F4A42 transmission in the Kia, and I'm not 100% certain, but it looks awful lot like a Mitsubishi transmission. I know the pan is on the side. It's not on the bottom, and the filter is not readily replaceable. You'd have to take the transmission apart, so that would be one you do a double drain and fill on. Kia has their own fluid, it's SP3 diamond fluid, so best to buy that from a Kia dealer and not put just a universal type fluid or any other kind of fluid in it. On your Ford, you're going to have a replaceable filter on it. That would be a full service. Now, that uses multiple transmissions as well. It could have a 4R70, a 4R75, or if it's a 6B, it could have a 6R80 transmission. All of them have a replaceable filter on them, and I believe all of them have a reusable pan gasket. The gasket, you just clean it up and put it back on, reuse it. It's a kind of expensive part, and it doesn't have to be changed. I believe all those are going to take Mercon LV, which is a specific fluid from Ford. It's different from Mercon V or Mercon 5, so don't put the Mercon 5. Check the owner's manual to be certain, but I believe it's going to be Mercon LV. Mercon, there's an SP, an LV, a premium. There's about six or seven different Mercon fluids, and you got to be sure you get the right one because those transmissions are real picky about that. Ford says the transmission could fail if you don't put the right fluid back in it. But basically, it's just going to be you remove the pan, you drain the fluid, and what we do is go a couple of steps beyond when we do a service on I like to retarque the valve body bolts on it and inspect the band adjustments on them while I've got the pan off. That's kind of one advantage of having a professional do it. But you can kind of head off problems ahead of the point, and then you go ahead and replace the filter and replace the pan, fill it up with the right fluid, drive it, and check for leaks. I absolutely am in love with this XB. I mean, so I would probably prefer having it done. Yes, sir. Um, that's something I need to make an appointment for. Yes, sir. Yeah. If you just call a link and handle all that for you, it takes about an hour, hour and a half to get it done. And if you call me ahead and make the appointment, what I'll do is make certain I do have the filter in stock. We stock probably about 300 filters. So I've got almost all of them in the house. But if I don't have it, I would get it and make sure I do have it for you. Excellent. All righty. All right. Y'all have a great day. Okay, Jay. All Thanks right. for calling, man. Bye-bye. All right, 499-9526 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. And we're going back to the phone lines. Is it Nazir? Hello, sir. How are you? I am great, sir. I have a Suzuki SX Ford, a 08 model. Okay. Um, I'm trying to change the headlight bulb. Uh -huh. I could get the bulb out, but I cannot unplug the plug the wires that goes on the plug. Mm -hmm. Is there a special tool that you need for that? Because There's not the going to be a special tool, Nazir, and I'm not certain what type of lighting setup that has in it, but a lot of them have a transformer that is actually the bulb is going to be underneath the transformer. The wire doesn't come off of the transformer. You have to actually take the headlight assembly out, remove the transformer, and the bulb will be under that. 
So you got to be a little careful. I'm not sure what lighting system you have on your exact vehicle because they use different ones. If it's got a standard bulb, then most of the time, again, you have to remove the lighting assembly. There's going to be a collar or some sort that comes out. The lighting all comes out with that, and then it just pulls straight out. I could get a bulb out, but what I'm seeing, I cannot unplug the bulb from the electrical wire. Yeah, some of them, the wire is actually made onto the bulb. What you would have to do is go and get your replacement bulb and see if it comes with the wire or not. Some of them, the wire actually is made part of it. On others, it's actually a little sub-harness, and what can happen is it can get hot through use, and it can actually kind of fuse together. The plastic melts together, in which case yeah. it's either the devil to get apart or you may have to even replace a little sub-harness. But I think what you probably want to do is go and get your replacement bulb, look at it, and see if the wire comes with it. If it does not come with it, then you just have to pull harder and see if you can get them apart. They're designed to just plug together. It's a little pigtail that plugs onto the spades on the end of the light bulb. And most likely, they've just fused together. You might check and see if you can get that little pigtail assembly separately because that's you may have to end up breaking it to get it apart. Yeah, the, the wire doesn't come with it. I already have okay. to Well, it's probably just melted together. It's gotten hot over the years. Sometimes that happens. You may have to get a replacement harness for it if you can't get it to unplug. Okay. All right. All right, sir. I appreciate it. All Thank right. you. Thank you for calling. Bye-bye. All right, 499-9526 number. We're going to take one last quick little break and be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Good morning. And welcome back to Automotive Maintenance School, fellas. Good morning. Yesterday, we left off talking about how to upsell your customers with the sneaky $24.99 oil change. Yeah, they come in for the special and bam, we hit them with other problems we just happened to find while doing the oil change. <laughs> yeah, and then you tell them, it's a good thing you came in for our oil change special. Yeah, you may never have known you needed all this work. Yeah, sound like you fellas did your homework. I just hope none of your customers did. <laughs> Agco Automotive has this to say about low-price oil changes. Take advantage of them. And if you get a list of recommended repairs, bring your vehicle to us for an honest opinion of what, if anything, needs to be fixed. Want to know more details about upsells and wallet flushes, plus tons of other automotive info? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco. It's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got my wife, Miss Elaine Aldazan, right here by my side. Elaine is a lovely lady who always answers the phone when you call Agco. Vice and president. There you go. <laughs> Get that straight. <laughs> to put in, a lot of times folks will call, and of course the first thing they say is, well, I need to talk to Louis. Well, when you call and you want to talk to Lewis, and I have to tell you that he is not available to come to the phone at the moment, that's because vehicles that are already there, he is writing work orders, calling parts departments, getting parts straight. One car could take up to 10 to 15 phone calls, and if he's got to stop on a work order to answer phone call on a vehicle that's not here yet, it can cause problems with the vehicle that he's working on at the moment. And you wouldn't want that to happen to your car that's when right. it's in. So it's not that he doesn't want to talk to you. It's that at that moment it just isn't possible. Right. 100% of my time is consumed by the cars that are already there, and once your car is there, I will be more than happy to call you and discuss it with you. I just can't feel phone calls during the week. That's one reason we do the radio show on the weekends. 
And another thing is you can always go to the website at agcoauto.com, just A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Hit the contact button, and that will send you right straight to me. Get me an email. and I check my email probably four or five times during the day, so you're generally not going to be too long getting an answer back. And that is not only the best way, but the only way to reach me during the week other than just wait for the radio show. And Elizabeth and Elaine are ready, willing, and able to answer probably 99% of anything you're going to ask. So go ahead and give them the information. Let them write it up. As soon as the car gets in and I find out what is wrong with it, I'm going to call and talk to you anyway. We're going to discuss it to whatever length you want to. But other than that, if it's just a general question, send me an email. And remember, if you don't get an answer from your email, it's because it was not received. He yeah. answers all emails. Answer 100% of the email that I receive. Now, if you hadn't gotten an answer, check your return address. Also, check your spam folder. I know Cox has a bad, bad habit of kind of filtering our replies out, and you don't get them. So check and see if maybe it's in your spam folder. Hey, I want to tell everybody how much I appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. Big thank you to all our podcast listeners. Go to iTunes and Positive Rating. It always makes our day. Preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.